0: Good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Western North Carolina. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. January the 24th, 2024. And we have our newest Hall of Fame class in baseball um, announced last night. Uh, of course, Jim Leland had already been elected Um, by the Contemporary Era Committee, but he will be joined by Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, and Joe Maurer. I thought Billy Wagner was going to get in. Billy Wagner ended up five votes short. Uh, He went up five percentage points from last year, but... uh, 284 votes left in five votes short. So uh, Billy Wagner has one more year on the ballot uh, to try to get in. Look, the guys that got in, to me, were no-brainers. I mean, Beltre, one of the best third basemen I've seen in my life. I mean, I've seen – look, I mean, I've seen some pretty good ones. I mean, I remember as a kid, one of the uh, uh, the first third baseman that really got my attention was Brooks Robinson. And I saw Brooks in the last, what, third of his career. But, man, could he pick it. You know, he was defensively, he was maybe the best I ever saw. And then, of course, there was George Brett. Uh, George Brett was ridiculous. Uh, First ballot Hall of Famer. Um, 98% of the vote when he went in that, that his first year on the ballot. Uh, Mike Schmidt, of course. Mike Schmidt, a very good defensive third baseman, but he was, of course, better known for uh, what he could do with the bat. Uh, over 500 home runs in his career. And then, of course, uh, the Red Sox gave us Wade Boggs. So, you know, in my lifetime, and then, uh, well, I guess I can't forget Chipper Jones. Chipper Jones played in a few places uh, in his career, but... Uh, but at the end of the day, we've seen some pretty good third baseman. At least people of my age, uh, there's a half a dozen guys right there uh, that were phenomenal. And Adrian Beltre, to me, maybe the second best defensive third baseman I ever saw. Um, you know, I mean George Brett. As far as third baseman goes, he has the most votes, I believe, of any third baseman uh for a first year on the ballot um you know and Beltre's number is impressive he got 95% of the vote um which is the fourth highest for a third baseman ever you know here's here's what's really weird and you think about when the Hall of Fame first started right Adrian Beltre was named on 95.1% of the ballots here's a trivia question for you who do you think that Adrian Beltray beat out for percentage of votes on the Hall of Fame ballot. The answer? Babe Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> Babe, Babe Ruth had 95% of the uh, votes to go into the first Hall of Fame class in baseball. And... uh, uh Adrian Beltre got 95.1. So <laughs> that that tells you all you need to know. Actually, it wasn't the first class. Babe Ruth was not in the first class. I apologize because he was still playing when the first when the Hall of Fame opened. Um, but think about that for a minute. He got a higher percentage of the votes than Babe Ruth. Um, but much deserved, no question about it. Look, this is a guy. He had two eighty six for his career, four hundred and seventy seven homers. 1,700 runs batted in. He is probably best known for his time with the Texas Rangers. But, I mean, don't forget, he played uh, for a number of years with the Dodgers. Uh, He played for four years with Seattle, and the Red Sox had him for a year. Um, His uh, 2,759 games at third base, uh, second only to Brooks Robinson. Brooks Robinson played almost 2,900 games at third base. Adrian Beltre was second on that list, and his 636 doubles, by the way, 477 homers, 636 doubles are 11th all time in Major League Baseball history. So uh, there was no doubt that he was going to get in on the first ballot. Um, the other guys that got in, you know, again, I thought Todd Helton um, belonged in when he first got on the ballot, and I don't, I don't want to hear about Coorsfield, Field, okay. Look, if if unless they're going to um kick Colorado out of major league baseball, you cannot penalize players for where they play. And and look, here's the thing. He hit 316 in 17 years for Colorado. Now, I'll give you this. He hit 345 in Coors Field. He hit 287 on the road. Okay, I get it. All right. But think about that. He hit 287 on the road. That's a higher batting average than Adrian Beltre had his entire career, no matter where he played. And he never played in Colorado. Well, at least not full time. So think about that for a minute. You know, he still hit 287 on the road. Right. And he hit a few more home runs in Coors Field than he did on the road but his numbers outside of batting average his power numbers his run batted in numbers were you know fairly comparable you know 142 homers on the road 200 at home you know the rbi's about a, about a 200 rbi difference but again he still hit 287 on the road and this guy i mean this guy was a a good first baseman, solid defender, five-time All-Star. You know, I mean, played for the same team his entire career, which doesn't – we don't see that happen anymore. Um, There are very few guys um, that play for one team, and we haven't seen many – I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm trying to think top of my head. I mean – uh, who else played for the same? All played for the same team. I mean, I remember when Carl Yastrzemski went in. Of course, he played for the same team. Um, George Brett always played for uh, Kansas City. Um, you know, there's been some, there have been a handful of guys that that have played for the same team. I think Mike Mike Schmidt. I don't think he played for anybody but Philadelphia. Um, I mean, it's just and once larry walker got in in 2020 there was no way that he wasn't going to get in you know and it was great seeing the uh, the photo yesterday or the uh, the video yesterday of uh his reaction when he got the call and he got in and it, look i'm happy for the dude i always i was always a todd helton fan always you know and i remember a couple of times uh there was some thought that that uh you know maybe he'd uh uh, go elsewhere in free agency, always stayed loyal to uh, the Colorado Rockies, which I appreciate. Oh, by the way, other guys that have gone in, I just looked it up. Mariano Rivera. <laughs> How can I forget him? Always played for the Yankees. Uh, Edgar Martinez with Seattle. Tony Gwynn with the Padres. Cal Ripken with the Orioles. I already mentioned George Brett. Um, Robin Yount with the Milwaukee Brewers. And uh, Johnny Bench and then of course uh, and then a couple of yankees mickey mantle and whitey ford you know that's they're only the fifth uh, he and uh, joe mauer who also played for the same team that's only the fifth duo of uh, of one team players in the last 50 years that got elected to the hall of fame in the same year i mean it's pretty impressive pretty impressive um so not i'm i wasn't surprised by that at all Um, Joe Maurer, look, the the problem with Joe Maurer is the difference in, you know, he's going in as a catcher and everybody's talking about, you know, what a great catcher he was. And there's no doubt that Joe Maurer, when he was healthy, was a great catcher. You can't, that's not even debatable. The injuries caught up to him. He ended up playing the majority, um, of the last part of his career, At first base, Um, concussion after concussion that he suffered behind the plate. Uh, Look, that's, uh, that's a rough position. You know, guys like Carlton Fisk, you know, that played, that caught his entire career. Think about that. You know, I mean, it's absolutely shocking that a guy like Pudge was able to catch for as long as he was. But Maurer for the last... Essentially, the last five or six years of his career was primarily a first baseman. But when he was a full-time catcher, he won three batting titles. And see, this is where, you know, people that want to argue about, well, you know, he's not really a catcher. Well, no, he is. He hit three sixty five in 2009 won an MVP and a gold glove, 365 in 2009 for the Twins. As a catcher, getting the crap beat out of them every game. Caught 138 games that year, 365 with an OPS of 1031. That's ridiculous. And by the way, hit 28 home runs, drove in 96. Won the batting title in in 2008. Also won in 2008, back to back seasons. He hit 328 in 2008, catching 146 games, and then hit 347 in 2006. Won his third batting title as a catcher. End of discussion. And you could say, well, you know, uh, Johnny Bench was a better catcher. Okay. Johnny Bench. <laughs> Johnny Bench was a great catcher, one of the best ever. There's no debating that. Right, Johnny Bench caught for basically 14 out of the 17 years he was in baseball. He finished up his career just like Mauer. As a first baseman, but by the time he went to play first base, he was on the downside of his career. In uh, 81, 82, and 83, you know, he didn't play as much, and his numbers were down. But Johnny Bench never won a batting title. Never. Johnny Bench was a career 267 hitter. Joe Maurer hit 306. For his career. And you want to say, okay, but again, he played first base, so how can we count that? Well, I looked it up on baseball reference. And in the years when he was primarily a catcher, he hit 323 from 2004 to 2013, which is essentially when his catching career ended. He hit 323 with an OPS of 873 as a catcher. Now, uh, you know, I never when I when I played baseball when I was younger, I never wanted to catch. I watched those guys get the crap beat out of them and I'm like, who in their right mind wants to do that? <laughs> and you know, one of my one of my good friends from college uh, Dave Massey, who listens to our program uh, from time to time. Dave Massey was a catcher. And, you know, and but there's a reason, folks, and I, I always say, I always joked, I'm too smart to be a catcher. I don't want to be a catcher. I'm smarter than that because I don't, I'm i smart enough to know I don't want to get the crap beat out of me. <laughs> Not saying that catchers aren't intelligent. I'm just saying I'm smart enough to know I don't want to get the crap beat out of me. I don't want to do that. But there's a reason why that catchers are often some of the best managers. You see them uh, time after time after time, guys that were catchers in Major League Baseball or even in the minors are guys that become managers. And why is that? Because as a catcher, you're involved in every aspect of the game from, uh, you know, not just, not just pitch selection, but you have to know where the defenders are. You have to make sure that your defense knows how many outs there are, what base we're throwing to. You know, you're kind of like, almost like kind of like a captain on the field. And Joe Maurer was absolutely incredible as a catcher. And he was, you know, and again, you know, and, People say, well, you know, he wanted to play first base or he had to play first base because of injuries. All right, fair enough. And and that's the last five years of his career. And because of the way he got beat up as a catcher, he only hit two seventy seven as a first baseman. It wasn't like he was tearing it up as a first baseman and putting up, you know, incredible numbers when he changed positions. So Joe Maurer was a catcher. So, you know, we can stop the, oh, he's not really a catcher stuff. And if this matters, I mean, the only catcher in modern-day baseball that got a higher percentage of votes than Joe Maurer, Johnny Bench. Johnny Bench was named a 96.4% of the ballots in 1989 when he got elected his first year on the ballot. Joe Maurer only got 76%. But he got more than Ivan Rodriguez. And I refuse to call him Pudge. There's only one Pudge. That's Carlton Fisk. Uh, it took Yogi Berra two years to get in. Think about that. Yogi Berra at 67% in 1971, his second year in the ballot. Carlton Fisk, it took him two years to get in. He was only named on 66%. Mike Piazza, it took him four years. He was named on uh, uh, his first year in the ballot. He was only named on 57.8%. So Joe Maurer, uh, did something that only Johnny Bench had done in the past. And that's just you know that's impressive as hell. So, you know, we could let's let's stop stop the, the, the uh oh he's not a catcher talk. Again, not everybody can be Carlton Fisk and catch twenty five hundred games. <laughs> that that is just amazing to me. Twenty five hundred games as a catcher over twenty four years. The fact, that, the fact that you know you see Carlton Fisk all the time. I used to see him at Fenway Park when I was there, and the fact that the guy can still walk amazes me. <laughs> I, you know, it was. I think about the catchers the number of times they have to squat in the game, and you know they've changed things now. You see catchers more on their knees now than we ever did in the past. You know I remember when uh, when I was young and first started getting into baseball, right? catchers always used to squat right they their knees didn't touch the ground they were always squatting and that was primarily you know how these guys caught. Now as, as I said, you know you see more guys on their knees than than anything but i I was just outside the other day doing some some woodworking stuff and I had to and I had to kneel and I had to squat for like a you know an hour. Jesus, I couldn't get out of my chair later. My knees hurt so bad. Now, I, granted, I'm 63 years old. But my point is is that the fact that guys like Maurer and Bench and Fisk can do what they did for so long and and still perform and still walk today is amazing to me. And, again, three batting titles as a catcher, so I don't want to hear any more uh, about Joe Maurer. So uh, three deserving guys get in. I think Billy Wagner belongs in. You know, it's, it's historically been difficult. Four relievers to get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, You know, we saw that with with Trevor Hoffman. We saw that with Eck. Eck was kind of a a different case because he was also a starting pitcher for uh, a long time in his career. Um, You know, Mariano Rivera was a no-brainer, but it hasn't been easy for relief pitchers to get in uh, to the Hall of Fame. Billy Wagner, when he was playing, was absolutely filthy. I mean the number of strikeouts that Billy Wagner had in his career, uh, at the rate he struck guys out, was crazy. He struck out an average of eleven point nine guys for every nine innings. You know, saves aside, he had four hundred and twenty-two of them. Two-three-one ERA. He pitched 903 innings in his career, and he struck out 1,196 guys. And by the way, he only walked 300. But 11.9 strike. he was unhittable. His walks and hits to innings pitch in his career, under one. What else do you want from your relief pitchers? So uh, I believe he belongs in the Hall of Fame. He's got one more year. If he doesn't get on, get in next year, it's a travesty. He fell five votes short. I think he was uh, uh, 12 or 13 votes short last year. So he's closer, and uh, I think he gets in. I think he gets in. Looking at the ballot as a whole, um, you know, look, uh, A-Rod, Manny Ramirez, no traction. 34.8, 32.5. They are never getting into the Hall of Fame again. These are two guys that were suspended for PEDs, you know. And, and this is and again, we've talked about that on this show many times, the whole PED issue. A-Rod and Manny were suspended for PEDs. They can't get in, period. But guys like Bonds, like Clemens, like whoever else you want to uh, – Andy Pettit, whoever else you want to bring up if you weren't suspended for the use of PEDs or you were in Major League Baseball before there was testing, how can you hold that against these guys when we have no idea, because there was no testing, we have no idea who was really using? How can you hold that against them? But those two guys suspended, never getting in. Uh, Carlos Beltran got 57% of the vote in his first year on the ballot uh, he'll get in. I think some of this was a um, – I, I think some of it was backlash um, over the Astros cheating scandal. So I think that uh, Carlos Beltran did not get the vote for some guys because of the, the whole thing with the Astros. But it is hard to deny his numbers. You know, I mean, uh, one of the greatest switch hitters ever – you know, and uh, he'll get in. I think it's just a matter of it may not be next year because you're asking a pretty big jump from 57% to get in. Um, but I believe he belongs in the Hall of Fame and, uh, you know, he's paying a little bit of a price for the for being uh, part of that whole Astro thing. But, I, look, I can't blame anybody that wants to hold that against him. You know, I can't. Um, so, he, uh, he will get in. Andrew Jones, 61.6%. Uh, Look, you know, the thing with Andrew Jones, and I've said this all along, I believe Andrew Jones uh, was an elite one. I, I, it doesn't matter what I think. He was an elite center fielder, right? He was, for a while, he was one of the best players in baseball you know he had a he had a the middle of his career was phenomenal the problem with andrew jones is the drop off was staggering he ended up hitting only 254 for his career right uh you know he had 434 home runs but he hit 254 and when you look at his last 6 years in baseball and and in 2007, he hit 222 in 154 games. 222. Followed that up with a with a 158, then a 214, 230, 247, and then 197 is last year. His last uh, six years were horrific, and you know we've seen a lot of players, you know fade at the end of their careers you understand I mean you know that's going to happen but Andrew Jones hit 212 in the last six years of his career with 65 home runs and 199 run batted in that's the kiss of death I don't care what a great center fielder you were um never won an MVP he was second uh, once I think he finished in the top five. One other time he won five gold gloves. There's no arguing. Actually, he won eight gold gloves. I'm sorry. There's no arguing, you know, his defensive prowess. But offensively, he just does not measure up. He's he's not getting in the Hall of Fame. He's one of those guys that belongs in the Hall of Very Good. Gary Sheffield did not get in his last year on the ballot. Um, he can be considered by the uh, Veterans Committee. Uh, They next meet in 2005, in December 2005, or 2025, I'm sorry. So, you know, maybe he gets in then. Um, You know, we'll see. We'll see. But, uh, you know, Sheffield had some great numbers, you know, and, and he's been on the ballot for 10 years. You know, it's kind of hard to think that uh, the Veterans Committee is going to put him in right away. Uh, there's been some guys. Look, you know, here's the thing, uh, and this is maybe, you know, my bias speaking, but, you know, you want to talk about Gary Sheffield, and, and I'm not arguing that he wasn't a great player. But I look at a guy that played for the Boston Red Sox for a number of years, um, a guy that I believe is a Hall of Famer. You know, you look at at, at one time the Red Sox outfield with uh, Fred Lynn, Jim Rice, and Dwight Evans. Dwight Evans, to me, is a Hall of Famer. You know, you want to talk about great defensive outfielders? Dwight Evans won seven gold gloves. Hit two seventy two for his career, um, uh, 385 home runs. He by the, You know, people want to argue Andrew Jones with his numbers, and and Andrew Jones' career batting average is 10 points lower than Dwight Evans. His OPS is lower than Dwight Evans' career OPS. So, you know, I don't want to hear, uh, you know, oh, Andrew Jones, Andrew Jones. To me, if you're going to put Andrew Jones in, then Dwight Evans has to be in. Dwight Evans has one of the greatest throwing arms I ever saw. He... I mean, some of the throws he made from right field were just ridiculous. You know, uh, you know, you can argue Gary Sheffield, but Gary Sheffield, again, uh, you know, hit 290 500 home runs, 1,676 runs batted in. Is he tainted a little maybe with some suspicion of PED use? Uh, yeah, but you know, he never won an MVP, never won a gold glove. So, you know, yeah, he was a great hitter, but there's been questions about Gary Sheffield for years as well. I still think he gets in. He was never suspended for PED use. I think he probably belongs in. But I don't know if he's going to get in right away with the with the veterans community. He may have to wait a little while. Um, and then we look at next year's ballot. There's two no-brainers next year. So, you know, you look at who else is going to get in. Billy Wagner might be the only hole over next year that's got a chance to get in because there's two guys on the ballot next year that I think are going to get in. Well, Ichiro is a no-brainer. Ichiro, uh, I mean, it's crazy what he did. He's getting in in the first ballot. Uh, and actually, the second guy—I don't know if he's going to get in, but he—he—you can make a pretty good case for CC Sabathia to get in. I'm not sure the eye test. To me, you know, and it's funny. There's been a lot of talk about the eye test, and you know, uh, analytics has been become such a big part of baseball now that we don't. To me, the eye test is important. There's guys, you can just look at certain guys and go, this guy's a Hall of Famer, right? I'm watching somebody special. But analytics, analytics now wants you to believe that, oh, no, what you're seeing, you know, it doesn't matter what you see. The numbers tell you this guy's a Hall of Famer. You know, batting average is no longer important. Right? So this, a lot of the reason why people are arguing about Joe Mauer with the three batting titles is because people are saying, well, you know, that doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, baloney. But to me, the eye test is important. And my eye test with CC Zabathia tells me he was a very good pitcher. Was he a Hall of Famer? I don't know. 250 career wins, over 3,000 strikeouts. He does have one Cy Young to his credit um never led the league in era he won 20 games once now 20 games these days doesn't mean anything because uh we may never see a pitcher win 20 games again right I mean it, it, the wins have been devalued so much that CC Zabathia winning 20, 21 games in 2010 we may never see that again so he won 21 in 2010, 19 in 2009. You know, but he had double digit wins most of the years of his career. And he threw a lot of innings. This is a guy you could hand him the ball and you know you knew that he was going to get you 200 innings. He threw over 200 innings like 8 times in his career. So I don't know that he's a slam dunk, but I think CC Sabathia will get in eventually and the other interesting case from next year is Dustin Pedroia. And will Dustin Pedroia get into the Hall of Fame? And Pedroia is another one of those cases where the first part of his career tells you, yes, this guy's a Hall of Famer. And there are times we saw him do things defensively. You go, yeah, this guy's a Hall of Famer. But the injuries absolutely killed Pedroia. When he got spiked by Manny Machado and what happened to him after that is rough. You know, and you look at the last uh, couple years of his career, he only played nine games, but he still, this is a guy that was a 299 career hitter. What's going to hurt him is because the last two years he only played a total of nine games, he really only has 12 years on his resume. Now, granted, those were twelve great years. He won the Rookie of the Year in two thousand seven. He won the MVP in two thousand eight, and he hit two ninety nine. Little guy, still had an OPS of over eight hundred. He's five nine. Uh, four gold gloves, five All Star teams. This is a guy that is, to me, man, he's a tough call because I think when we saw the best of Dustin Pedroia, he was phenomenal. And actually, you know, you take away his first year in 2006 when he only played 31 games. He was a rookie of the year in 2007 because he didn't meet the minimum to, to uh, qualify uh, as a rookie. So really, you're looking at, what, 11 years because those other three years, the first is rookie year he played 31 games and then nine after that. So if you take away those three years, the two at the end and the and the first one, he hit over 300 in his career with an OPS of 810. And he's a second baseman, and that sounds like Hall of Fame to me. You know, we'll have to see whether how the voters feel about it. But again, now when you only have... 11 years on your resume because of injuries, I don't know how much that's going to kill him. But I hope uh, he gets in. I think Dustin Pedroia belongs in. Uh, he may not get in on the first ballot, but I think if people take everything into consideration and in the fact that, you know, the the worst part was is the injury wasn't even his fault. He got spiked. You know, and then after that, in, in 2026, there's really, I mean, it's uh, Cole Hamels and Ryan Braun are probably the top two guys, and they're not getting in. Uh 2027 Buster Posey, John Lester. I think Posey will get in. I don't know about Lester. Lester may, but it's going to take a while. And you look down the road, Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina will come on the 2028 ballot. There's two first ballot guys. Although, although I say that, um and you know, and if there's any Cardinal fans listening, uh you know, I'm sorry, but it's one of those things where Yadier Molina again great defensive catcher right pitchers love throwing to this guy but when you look at it and you look at his numbers unless you're going to discount a lot of things he's only a 277 career hitter his ops 726 it's a guy who only had 176 home runs yeah he made a lot of all-star games yeah he's got a bunch of gold gloves but he never led the league in anything, which is why Joe Maurer getting in, when you look at yadi Molina and everybody say, oh, yadi Molina, first ballot Hall of Famer. You put Maurer's numbers against Molina, Molina looks like a minor leaguer. So, you know, Yachty may not be the first ballot guy everybody thinks he is. Now, Alba Pujols, that's a, that's a no-brainer. So anyway, uh, so we'll see. But Ichiro gets in next year. Pedroya will be an interesting case. I, th- I still think he belongs in. Um, uh, but again, only 11 true full seasons. Uh, we'll have to see how the, uh, uh, the voters want to handle that next year. It's 40 minutes past Yeah, We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. Uh, we've got some signings around Major League Baseball to talk about. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 42 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Wednesday morning. I just got. To, I've been getting a couple of emails in. <coughs> excuse me, telling me that we're having uh, we're cutting in and out. Uh, I apologize. We've got storms in the area and uh, satellite internet. And God, I can't wait till they finally uh, get us hooked up here so that we have some real internet. But uh, I know I've been cutting in and out. I apologize. Uh, if you missed anything, uh, of course it'll be on. Uh, uh, on our podcast later on today. You can find it on uh, Apple Music. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on uh, Amazon. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, Amazon Music has it as well. So if you missed anything on the show and you want to listen to it, you can find the podcast uh, wherever you get your podcast. We're on about, I don't know, six or seven different places. So a uh, couple of signings in Major League Baseball yesterday. James Paxton, uh, former Red Sox hurler, signs a – Eleven million one-year deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers. It's got some incentives in it. He can earn up to $13 million uh, if he's healthy and uh, starts at least 20 games. Uh, the Dodgers' spending just continues. Think about this. They're offseason for the Dodgers. This is just staggering. The Dodgers spent, have spent $1.2 billion dollars this offseason 1.2 billion uh with the money that they gave to shohei otane uh to the uh uh, the kid yamamoto the pitcher from japan tyler glass now uh, uh now paxton the money they gave to teoscar hernandez i mean the dodgers it's like they must have a printing press I mean, obviously it's not – the 1.2 billion is not all due this year, but it's just – I mean, it's just crazy. Um, so uh, Paxton will uh, be in that uh, rotation along with Yamamoto and Glass now. Uh, Walker Bueller, who's supposed to be back from uh, Tommy John surgery. Uh, Paxton will probably be fit in there. And then uh, at least early in the season, Bobby Miller or Emmett Shaheen will probably be in the starting rotation. The question is going to be whether – uh, Clayton Kershaw is coming back or not? There's talk that he will, um, but he probably may not be back till June or July. Um, he's still trying to make up his mind what he wants to do. I think that uh, I think getting the the crap beat out of him in the playoffs really uh, has Walker has uh, uh, Clayton Kershaw uh, reexamining whether he wants to come back and pitch or not. Uh, Reese Hoskins signs a two-year, thirty-four million dollar deal with the Milwaukee Brewers. Of course, the long time. Philadelphia Philly missed all of last season because of a torn ACL uh, in the knee. He's only thirty years old, and uh, he was ready to come back by the by the end of the season. Uh, Phillies did not put him on their uh, playoff roster, so he did not play in the NLCS. Um, but he missed all of last year. Uh, in 2022, he hit 30 homers, 79 runs batted in while hitting two forty six for the Phillies. Look, he can he can certainly give them a lot of power. Uh, Milwaukee needs a first baseman uh last year they had uh rowdy tellez there i believe uh and uh, they did not re-sign rowdy tellez and they also had um carlos santana carlos santana is a free agent as well so reese hoskins will likely uh be slotted in there and he'll be there every day uh first baseman for the brewers robert stevenson who had a great year last year um when he finished up with Tampa Bay, signed a three-year, $33 million contract with the Angels. Uh, last year, between Pittsburgh and Tampa, he went uh, at uh, 66 appearances, had 77 strikeouts, a 3-1-0 ERA um, between those two teams last year. His uh, 46% swing and miss rate uh, was the third best in a season in Major League Baseball since 1988. Think about that. I mean, that's, you know, talk about a guy that has flown under the radar. So he signs uh, $11 million a year for three years with the Angels, and Joey Gallo <laughs> signs a one-year, $5 million deal with the Washington Nationals. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a child, teach them, <laughs> teach them to play baseball. Because, I mean, this... This is staggering to me. This guy is going to make $5 million this year, right? (laughs) Uh, In his last five seasons, in his last five seasons, he has hit 181 with 88 homers. And he has struck out 45% of the time over the last five seasons, hitting 181, and yet he is still going to make $5 million to play baseball. That is mind-boggling. Because you're not going to tell me there isn't a young kid, a minor leaguer somewhere, that can do better than that. Or can do comparable to that for less than five million bucks. The Washington Nationals are out of their minds. You know, and I know uh, they had they had home run troubles last year. I think they had the second lowest number of homers in, in baseball last year. Um but Joey Gallo played for the Minnesota Twins last year and had twenty one homers and hit one seventy seven. I mean, it's just nuts. (laughs) $5 million a year for that guy. That's insane. Some news outside of baseball and some more bizarre news. The Milwaukee Bucks yesterday fired their head coach, Adrian Griffin. Ladies and gentlemen, the Milwaukee Bucks are 30-13. and They have the second best record in the Eastern Conference. They're just a couple of games back of the the Boston Celtics. They have, they are tied for the second best record in the NBA. And they fired their head coach. This is insane. Look, I understand the defense has been a bit of a problem. They're giving up uh 120 points a game I get it you're 30 and 13 this is the same team the Milwaukee Bucks who fired their previous coach Mike Budenholzer after they got beat in the playoffs by the Miami Heat last year when Budenholzer was there They had the most combined regular season and playoff wins and the league's best regular season record in three of his five seasons on the job, but they fired him. And now they fire Griffin in his first year on the job when he has led them to a 700 winning percentage through the first half of the season. What in the hell are the Milwaukee Bucks ownership? What are they doing? And now the talk is, is that they're going to replace him. They're going to replace him with a guy that there's been all kinds of problems with about whether he's actually a good coach. And that's Doc Rivers. He started working as like a, an informal consultant to Griffin last month. And now it's likely he's going to get Griffin's job. And people wanted to run him out of town on a rail when he was with the, the, with the 76ers. I mean, what are we doing? 30 and 13 and you get fired. That's the problem with sports. I mean, look at what happens in college football. You can go 9-3 and three as a college football coach and get fired. We see it all the time. Guys will go 9-3, and 10-3, and, and they lose their job because they didn't win the, the, the conference championship or they didn't get in the college football playoffs or they didn't win the national title, and they get fired. You know, that's become a, you know, that's, a, that's really, you know, Texas and Texas A&M are famous for doing stuff like that. It's just insane the kind of things that go on these days. 30 and 13, and you get fired. The last time a guy got fired this early in a season happened uh, back in, was it 2016, I believe, when uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, yeah, 2016, the Cleveland Cavaliers fired David Blatt 41 games into his second season. By the way, he got a second season. Adrian Griffin got 43 games and and won 70% of them. The Cavaliers fired David Blatt in 2016 after 41 games in the second season. Now, to be fair to Cleveland, they did go on to win the NBA title that year. But, you know, and, and you know, look, Milwaukee has some great talent. With Giannis is, you know, crazy. Uh, Damian Lillard, seven-time All-Star. People expected they were going to just roll through the NBA. But, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you've looked at the Boston Celtics roster. That's the best team in basketball right now, in my opinion. You know, when they want to show up. <laughs> they have their games when they don't. You know, and, uh, and and Milwaukee just plastered them a couple of weeks ago, beat them by like 40. But the coach that was behind that just lost his job. Insanity. Absolute insanity. Uh, trade yesterday in the NBA. Uh, Kyle Lowry was traded by the Miami Heat yesterday to the uh, Charlotte Hornets for Terry Rozier, Rozier, who actually used to play for the Celtics. Uh, This is a big get for the Heat. Uh, Lowry's in the last year of his contract. Lowry's 38 years old, lost his starting job. Now, Miami also had to send Charlotte a first-round draft pick in addition uh, to Lowry to get Rozier, but that is an upgrade for Miami. And uh, look, Miami's already looking for the playoffs. Right, Dave. They're twenty-four and nineteen, uh, you know, and uh, they're looking for what's going to happen in the postseason. And Rogier is averaging twenty-three points and almost seven assists a game, um, and uh, he's shooting a career high forty-six percent as well. So it's an immediate upgrade for the Miami Heat. It's going to make them better. And if you're the Charlotte Hornets, look, you're not going anywhere anyway. You're ten and thirty-one, but you get a first-round draft pick, which is you know. That's gold uh, in them Dar Hills. So uh, Charlotte, uh, happy to make that trade to get the first-round pick and get them some more draft capital going into next season. Uh, The UConn women beat Marquette last night, 85-59. Not a surprise there, but it's their 13th straight win. Uh, Paige Beckers, 26 points, 5 assists, uh, probably the second-best player. Actually, she may be the best player in college basketball. Caitlin Clark gets all the attention because she's averaging a ridiculous 32 points a game. But as a complete player, Paige Beckers is the best player in uh, in, bas- in college basketball because she can do everything. Um, UConn also announced yesterday that Caroline Ducharme is going to be out for the rest of the year. She hasn't played since November, so it's not necessarily a huge surprise. But with that official announcement, that is the fifth player the UConn women have lost this year, the fifth I mean, it's if you look at the the team, the players that they have out. Uh, John Silver, a buddy of mine, who uh, writes a newsletter for uh, for UConn called the UConn Daily, um, about UConn. It's not for UConn; it's about UConn. Uh, made a comment that, that the five players that UConn out have out could be a top twenty-five team in college basketball. He may not be wrong. It's just not the injuries that UConn have suffered over the last two years. It's just mind-boggling. And if you're Geno R. E M, I you you got to get to a point where you go, I don't know if I want to keep doing this, uh, you know, because he just, he just has to keep pulling a rabbit out of his hat. Uh, UConn women will play against Notre Dame, nationally televised game on Saturday. Uh, that should be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, the problem with UConn is going to have, and they'll be able to get through this now, but the bench is going to be short again, and I worry about what's going to happen come tournament time if they're going to have enough gas left in the tank. We saw that happen to them last year. Uh, against Ohio State, and they just were were gassed by the end of the year. So we'll see. Uh, one more quick note. I um, wanted to mention the passing. Charles Osgood passed away yesterday. Uh, Charles Osgood is a guy I uh, listened to on the radio, used to be on WCBS uh, AM, the Osgood Files. I used to listen to him all the time. And, of course, he's a longtime host of CBS Sunday Morning. Uh, passed away at his home in New Jersey yesterday. He was 91 years old. A classy guy, member of the Broadcasters Hall of Fame as well. Uh uh, but passed away yesterday at the age of 91. Hell of a run. I hope I get a run that long. Hey, it's Neil Diamond's birthday today. 83 years old. Not able to perform anymore. He has Parkinson's, but uh, uh, still alive and kicking. And uh, wanted to recognize his birthday. So we'll leave you this morning with a little sweet Caroline. We'll see you on Friday. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.